<laughs> Someone's there. <laughs> I can get better audio quality than that if you want me to put it at the start of the pod. I was, was going to come on singing it, but I really my singing voice is even worse than my my spoken voice. So. Ladies and gentlemen of the Tonkins <laughs> Times, it's been 1,149 1, games, 103,410 minutes, we've scored 1,968 goals. Hang on, how many minutes? That can't be right. <laughs> Off the top of One, your head. 103,410 minutes, not including injury time. Oh, in game, uh, sorry, not in, in terms of game time, not, not like... That's not... Yes, in life, <laughs> not 30 years worth of minutes, no. <laughs> but I, I appreciate the interruption on my introduction there, as if I haven't done the research. Explain <laughs> 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 yourself. £1.47 billion non-inflation adjusted money spent on players. Let's start with you, Paul. How did it feel? And what were you doing when we won the league this time? I guess we're going to have similar answers. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, I was I was off travelling. I was going around the world. Um, no, I was stuck. I was on my hundred and third day in the house um, on day ninety two. I think I went out for a walk down the street to collect something. Um, but yes, yeah, so I've been in the house and. Yeah, kind of like time has just, you know, it, it, everything's kind of gone completely weird. And it was that thing again of, like, we had our game on Wednesday night and that was that was brilliant and I really enjoyed that. But obviously, that's a bit nerve-wracking, you know, and all the tension building up. And then it's like having another Liverpool get. You know, it's like we, we beat Palace and then we had, it's almost like we had to play, you know, Chelsea and Manchester City the next day to win the league so um you know thursday was another sort of, sort of you know another game where you're kind of put through the ringer um but yeah it was just um obviously it's not it's nowhere near as good as a being there or b when it's your own team that's actually won but i you know i i was still pretty you know, I was still pretty euphoric in the in the moments that um, the, the penalty was conceded and Fernandinho was sent off. As soon as, as soon as I saw the replay of him kind of punching the ball off the line, I thought, right, because even then, if, if they missed the penalty, he had to be going off. And so that felt like, you know, not only did we only need Chelsea to draw, but that kind of looked like City weren't going to be able to get a second goal even if Chelsea missed the penalty. So, yeah, that moment was the kind of like the big celebration sort of starting and then there was a big sense of relief at the final whistle but also just yeah that strangeness of being home alone um i then as i said i didn't realize i didn't even think to switch over to sky but i was watching bt and as they failed to interview klopp and i was kind of like you know give me give me something really good to to sort of you know cement the moment and then we had kenny bless him Talking, I couldn't understand a word he was saying because he's, he's, he was getting about 
he, he texted. They didn't even think. They didn't even think to say, Kenny, hey, maybe turn your notifications off. But you know, <laughs> and, and, and all he did was Bing, and he'd say like something, Bing, uh, and Bing, and, and I was like, I couldn't hear a word of that. And then so then I was like, come on, give me this have clop, and there was no clop. And then they went to Steve McManaman, and then I gave up. So, you know, it, but but yeah, it's a brilliant but surreal, and and just I think you know it's going to take a while to sink in there's no parade there's no obviously not being in liverpool even that you know even if i wasn't liverpool i wouldn't be leaving the house with my health issues but so it's all kind of a bit it's a bit surreal and it's it's going to take a while i think to to fully sink in chris were you watching the man city uh, chelsea game? i actually watched it on my phone just on the bbc ah, um you know the sort of rolling thing, which adds a sense of Old drama. Which... Tele teletext. That's the thing. Yeah, that sort of BBC nonsense. Um, but um, I'd got it all planned. You know, I'd got me. I'd ordered some pyro. I was going to. Obviously, Daniel, you know this area. It's sort of like a steep-sided valley, and the town's on either side of the valley, so everyone's going to see it basically. <laughs> but well, well, have you not let it off yet, then? No, it didn't bloody arrive till the day after. Um, <laughs> the original, I ordered the original lot from a company um, whose name I won't mention, but they had a problem. They explained to me that it was going to be in a, at least another four weeks. Uh, excuse me? You know, and they said the problem is with a, a courier that Paul, I know you've had trouble with before. I don't want to name him, <laughs> but it's them again. And um, they'd basically, yeah, that's it. Um, the ones that rhymed with the sexually transmitted disease um that useful as a sexually transmitted <laughs> yes. yeah it was them and um they didn't, yeah they didn't deliver basically so i had to order another one but by then it was a couple of days before the palace game i thought well, it could even be i could even need it for wednesday you know so i, was, I got all planned i was going to let the smoke off i know where the city fans live in the you know, i know they can see it <laughs> and um I got it all planned. A bit of music that Paul greeted us with at the start. It was all ready. And, um, you know, I was let down by the pyro. It came the day after. But I'm going to save it for the for the moment of the um, the Guard of Honour, I think. Because yeah. I, I know they'll be watching. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll let them know just to look out your windows. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, um, it was kind of strange. You know, it's, it's a... I'd seen. I actually was in the. It was in the ground every time in my life that Liverpool have won the league, apart from the sort of couple of times in the sixties when I was too young. But ever since then, from the seventies onwards, I was actually you know watching the match where it was won. Um, and that's the first time a that we've you know we've won it without playing. Is that, you know, so, and B is that without. Really, is that really the we we've, we've never won it before? Not in a long while. You know, obviously in the. 70s and 80s, we always won it when we were playing. Is yeah, that... yeah. The only time I can ever remember a team winning it without playing was Derby in 72 and the Clough. I think, I think they won it um, um, when no, Leeds Man lost. United, Man United's first title when they came back was when Oldham scored and Ferguson was on the golf course when they won their first title back. Why doesn't this happen more often? I don't know, actually, especially with the games being so staggered now. You know, um, you know, probably it was less likely in the old days because most games were simultaneous. Of course. Uh, always, right. And on the last day of the season, they're still simultaneous, aren't they? So like they are. Blackburn, yeah, yeah. when they won it at Anfield, yeah. that, um, obviously they were playing, um, but then Man United were playing West Ham, I think, weren't they? And they, they, didn't, they failed to beat West Ham. But, um, that's, that's, it, yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that's right. I never, never, never realised that. that um, so this is kind of fairly unique for all of us then. It Not is. Yeah, you know, even before we get to empty stadia, you know, it's, it's yeah. quite unusual. Um, so, having said that, I didn't, I, I don't, I can't say it detracted from from anything for me. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was just deliriously, stupidly happy um, and deeply proud. I thought it was a huge pride. But my phone was going constantly from people in Liverpool saying, you know, it's like bonfire night and New Year's Eve here. And these aren't people in the middle of Liverpool. These are people sort of 10 miles out, McGull and sort of places like that, Bootle and, you know. It wasn't the city centre stuff or the stuff by Anfield. It was just their neighbourhoods. And just fireworks everywhere, apparently, and, you know, just explosions and smoke. And that's why there's no there's no red pyro to be had, apparently, for well, the last yeah. four weeks, you know. It's all been laid down. 
and um, it all went off. Of choice, Chris. What was your tipple of choice? Um, <laughs> well, I, I had a delivery that night. Luckily, um, the guy who um, runs a micro pub in the town lives a few doors up from me, so we've got like, sort of a door-to-door service going. And that arrived about two hours before the game, so I got a new batch of beer from um, Ellen Brewery up the road there. Um, Yucky. Because there was a bit of a bit of a thread on TTT, weren't there? There was. There was. I did. I did treat myself to a large scotch afterwards. I have to say, so it's a bit weird being on your own sort of thing. And you know, <laughs> my wife's kind of not really into it. There was all sorts going on on the phone, but she was sort of, oh, have they? Oh, good. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like like you just put the bins out. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. Yeah, so slight anticlimax. It reminded me of Wolves in '76 when I, you know, it was a fantastic night. But I was living in the Midlands and I had to just go straight home after the match. And I went to a pub, which is just like a dull Tuesday or Wednesday night, whatever it was, pub with about eight people in, you know, just really subdued. I just had a last pint before the last before closing time. And that was it. You know, I knew there was this massive 70-mile-long party going on on the M6, and I wasn't part of it. And I felt a bit like that when all, all this lot from Liverpool were texting me saying, honey, that's going off here. They're all, so you should see what's going on outside here, you know. And I was, mm, not much going on here. Not even any pyro. <laughs> <laughs> Bees, what, what were you doing then? When uh, Were you watching the Man City-Chelsea game, I'm assuming? Yeah, I watched a bit of it. Um, when it kicked off, it's, it's sort of different to some games like this because we didn't need Man City to lose. You just needed them not to win. So as soon as it kicks off, you know, it's nil-nil, and as it is, Liverpool are champions on that result. So I was just sort of washing up, and I had the radio on. And then when um, Chelsea scored, and uh, I cheered really loudly. And then, so after that, I needed to have a thorough wash, obviously. Okay. Um, and so when it was sort of like 1-0 at half time, I was like, yeah, I'd better watch this, hadn't I? I'd better pay proper attention rather than just sort of background radio. So, um, yeah, I did watch the second half and um, just sort of, checking stats as I do and whatnot. And I was sort of like, I was like, you know, um, Man City have, have um, they've never won an away game against one of the big six when they've conceded the first goal since Pep took over. So that's, that's quite interesting. That's got to give Liverpool a chance tonight, you know. So so I tweet that. So, of course, immediately City score after I tweet that, which is <laughs> jinx, you know, the jinx, the power of the jinx and all that. But, um, yeah, and then obviously it was just um, Chelsea missed a good chance even before the penalty moment, and and by the end I was just basically sat on my sofa laughing because I was I was sort of thinking I'm so invested in this, and yet Man City could win this game, Man City could win Liverpool, uh, could beat Liverpool next week, and it wouldn't matter really. Liverpool are going to win the league, but it might happen now, and I'm so invested in it happening now that I I sort of want it to happen, but. And sort of the the whole sort of confusion around that in my brain, and I ended up just sat, sat there literally laughing because I couldn't just sort of understand why I was so bothered. But of course, it's because it's so close, you know, and stuff like that. So um, I think I think Paul described it as surreal. I think that's a very good word because um, I thought there was a chance it might happen Thursday, but yeah, as it just became closer and closer, it just got uh, sort of stranger and stranger. Um, just to add to a point earlier um, about Liverpool winning the league. Uh, when they're not playing. According to Jed Ray, and he's the official club stato, so he should know what he's talking about, uh, he tweeted, last night was the third occasion Liverpool have clinched the title without kicking a ball, following 1946-47 and 1982-83, apparently. Can I, so, can I jump in here about 1946-47? By all means. I'm sure you remember it well, Paul, yeah? I do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Chris was... What? Chris I did not uh, expect that tangent. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that. There was something else that um, I'm in writing the new book. Um, I'm I start listing. Uh, I started listing various things that um, that I was talking about, like the coronavirus and how there was no planning in place. And so I kind of went through the last 120 years of history and things that I've spoken about it on a previous podcast, but you know. I think it was 1890 something, you know, massive volcano, all these things that could happen. Um, you had just obviously the, war, the wars, the Spanish flu of 1918. But then there was 1946 47, which was the great British freeze, um, which obviously, um, I was watching something about it 
where they were pneumatic, using pneumatic drills to dig up the vegetables. And the country was close to going, um, you know, going bust. Um, it was complete chaos. And I thought, oh, 1946, 47, of course, that's when we won the league. That's also the, the latest time before this, I think, that the league had ever been won because of the great freeze. So, um, and I haven't gone back to look into what happened um, and how the games were rearranged. Because it was literally just something like yesterday that I heard that, you know, that that was the latest before that. So I could chip in on that. The um, Liverpool's last game was the 31st of May that year. Yeah. And then I'm pretty sure it was Stoke, but whoever was second didn't play until about two weeks later. Right. And because they didn't win, Liverpool then won the league on something like the 15th of June. I can't remember the specific date. Um, but that, that's basically what happened. So, um, yeah, that was the sort of previous latest the league had been uh, had been won. That's, that's kind of like a... Uh, and that, I know that was a... that was a pivot, I know there's been a book about that season, which I really should have read. Uh, and I know it's kind of... Um, wasn't that... Was Bob Paisley in the team then? Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was just, just seems like an interesting sort of parallel that um and that that had probably been a long wait as well then had it, or was it um they won the league in the 20s i'm not sure if they won it in between the two uh yeah no that was the first one since 1923 so, so that, that was a long wait as well that was a long way it was decided in in june there'd been something that had delayed the league um starting you know in the winter um so yeah so some quite interesting parallels there then I love it when I listen to this podcast and learn stuff. That is right. I've never even heard about 1946-47 and I probably should have listened to all this. Um, <clears throat> I was recording a podcast while this Man City-Chelsea game was going on. I was, do- I was doing the Under Pressure Crystal Palace review. So I- while I was praising all the Liverpool stuff, Gags just kept inter- intervening and going, Chelsea have scored! Chelsea have scored! <laughs> which, which was quite nice. So I wasn't, I wasn't paying any attention to that game. Um, and then the podcast just carried on running on for till 11 o'clock at night uh, with people phoning in. So that was really nice. And that anyone who was listening to it would have, would have heard that. It wasn't how I expected. And... Hearing the fireworks going off outside Dan Kennett's house, he had to go and film them for a couple of minutes. Um, and I don't think he's that close to the ground, so that, that resonates with what you were saying, Chris. Um, just a question for you all. I think we know your answer, Paul. I wouldn't. But if you were living in Liverpool, would you have gone to Anfield, Chris or Bees? Um It's easy to say no when I'm sat here, but I would have been sorely tempted. I know I would have been, but... Um, I think I probably wouldn't have, but like I say, it's easy to say when you're sat in East London <laughs> with no realistic chance of getting to Anfield, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, probably not, but then just a slight chance I might have, yeah. To be honest, to be honest though, having said that, I, uh, if I lived near enough to, to walk and put on a mask and went and sort of, it would just be nice to sort of, you know, you don't have to go right in amongst the crowd, but just to see the crowd. Do you know what I mean? I was like, just mm-hmm. my street and nothing's going, you know, in Leicester, nothing's going on. Um, do you know what I mean? So it, it, just the visual, the visceral experience of seeing, you know, seeing all that kind of stuff would have um, would have helped sort of make it seem a bit more real. Because there was nothing really visceral visually, do you know what I mean? There was, you know, and I, my, my, you know, it, for me, nothing would top Istanbul, but just being... You know, just just seeing all the all the crowds out outside the stadium after the game and meeting my friends and just the colour and you know what I mean. It's just it's, yeah, yeah Tim, Tim. Chris, would you would you have gone, Chris? Um, Hart says yes. I'm, I, you know, I think my head would have said no right now, but um, you didn't have to. Like you just said, you know, with Dan, um, all those that I know are nowhere near Anfield, but um, they were very much part of it. You know, everywhere, all the houses were done up with bunting and flags and goodness knows what for days before. They were sending pictures for about the last week of what the area looked like, you know, with stuff everywhere. Um, and then when all the fireworks started going off, you, you know, you wouldn't have actually had to go to Anfield to still get a sense of it. But um, I, I did feel kind of, yeah, it would have been nice to be, you know, connected to all that. But whether I'd have actually gone, I certainly wouldn't have gone to Pierre Ed the night after, which was chaotic by the sound of it um 
Yeah, what's your thoughts on that? That that seems it seems frustrating that a lot of people seem to be, and we've had it in the past, tiring Liverpool fans with the same brush here because I haven't seen one Liverpool fan who hasn't thought it was absolutely atrocious behaviour. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. How yeah. many? How many were there? I, I mean, I, I, I saw news uh, stories about it and the condemnation, but and I saw about the fireworks going into the live building and setting it, you know, balcony on fire. But what, what kind of crowds were they? What kind of numbers were they talking about? And is it just like the same sort of people that that bottled the city bus? You know, uh, um, yeah, it was just really disappointing because people were, you know, fans of other clubs and the media and everything were just waiting to have a go back at Liverpool fans, and they just, you know, just handed it to them basically by doing stupid stuff. So um, yeah, it's just really disappointing. But um, I can understand. I can understand what happened Thursday night, and then but Friday night was just taking it too far, really. Any the trouble I have with any of these football, you know, the, the tribal discussions is that there will always be fans of any club that would that would end up doing that. You know, anyone in the same situation, yeah. there would be a section. You know, there there have been thousands upon thousands of people going to beaches everywhere for about two months now. So, you know what I mean, and just wrecking the place. So, they, they, you know, there's just as kind of a slightly sort of antisocial section of society, you know, um, and everyone's gone a bit bonkers during during the kind of lockdown and the heat wave and everything. So, um, you know, but yeah, obviously it's not. I think there's a sense of uh, making up for lost time in both senses for Liverpool supporters, you know, the, the lockdown issue, but also obviously the, the title. So it's kind of a, you know, a two reasons on top of each other for going out and doing that. But weren't having they, said that, you know. Weren't they just all going to check their eyesight? <laughs> well there you go yeah 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 example set from above yeah exactly yeah quite so but um, yeah it didn't it didn't look too good apparently there were sort of 20 30,000 around Pierhead um, oh that many that many I thought it was hundreds oh wow well there's loads around the bombed out church as well so it's sort of there's several thousand around there so if you added them all together it was that oh, there's that many at Pierhead but several thousand outside the bombed out church as well but if and, uh, if they were all in groups of six, you're allowed to congregate in groups of six anyway. I can imagine yeah, a, a lot, lot of, of sixes. Yeah, a lot of sixes. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it, were there many? Were there many masks? Uh, I saw, uh, I saw some footage today outside Anfield, and there was one person near the camera with a mask, and everyone else around didn't have a mask on. And then, no. and the, and the, and the, I think it might have been on Sky or something. They said, oh, there's yeah, there's people. At least some people are wearing their masks. And there was like one person with a mask. There's um, um, I did notice a, a red mask with a white liver bird on it. I think it's a sort of a, a one-upmanship in masks is now being introduced, you know, into the you world. Can get, oh, you can get masks on any, you know, every, pretty much every band I, I follow. Yeah, yeah. Like you can get, a, yeah, you can get a, a COVID mask. <laughs> bees, bees. What well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I don't know if it's taken it down a notch, but I think it shows us where we've come from. Um, what's what's been the worst moment as a Liverpool fan since last winning the league? I mean, there's been a few, hasn't there? Um, I was sort of thinking about this a little bit, and some of the ones that come to mind are, are obviously losing like six one at Stoke was pretty bad. Um, but then I thought about it, and it was like, well, obviously that was bad, but it was the last day of the season. It didn't really mean anything. They could have won six one, and it wouldn't have made much difference to anything. So as, as bad as that was, I'm not sure that was the low point. You've obviously, I'm not going to steal everyone's answers, but obviously the, the sort of Hodgson period was pretty bad. But when I thought about it, one that actually stuck with me was when, um, I think it was 2005, and Chelsea won 4-1 at Anfield, if you remember that game. And it was just that thing of like, because it was quite early in the season as well, you just sort of feel like, oh, you know, it, it's one of those that shows you how far behind the best team you are. You know, when we lost 6-1 at Stoke, I knew we weren't that great and we were probably finishing 6th or 7th or whatever it was in the league. But, like, Istanbul in 2005 and then the next season we played Chelsea and just get absolutely played off the park. And you're like, yeah, we're a long way short of this. So I think it's ones like that that sort of reson have resonated with me more over the years. But, um, I mean, as I could go on, but I don't want to steal sort of everybody else's answers. <laughs> Chris, Chris, what's yours? There's one particular night sticks in my mind and it's partly you know made worse by man united and what isn't um it was when they i think it must have been 99 i think it's when they went and won 3-2 in juventus 
Um, when they were, yeah, and we were home to Leicester and lost home to Leicester in front of about 30-something thousand at Anfield and we were six or something like that. And I think that night told me, you know, this is same as B's just said, we're just not in, we're not in the conversation at the moment, nowhere near. I always remember that, that night of bloody hell. I went to that game as well. I, and, um, I, I think yeah. I was at the game. I can't, I can't remember the full situation, but I know that Leicester is always brought to mind because it was just, you know, we, we, we were pretty rubbish and, and Man United were, you know, they, they, they were, yes, yeah, achieving something glorious. So just the, just that 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 game is often mentioned as a kind of a low point, isn't it? Yeah. By the contrast. What's what's yours, Paul? Um, it's got got to be Hodgson here. It's <laughs> one of those games. Got to be. After reading some of your stuff, um, I think in terms of criticizing the club and the state that we're in, that was the the, the real low point, wasn't it? The bottom of the barrel. I mean, you've got two kinds of of low point, haven't you? The, um, my my, I was in thinking of some. I've, I've got the Leicester game written down, which Chris just mentioned. Um, but there's also there just there are the low points when you are terrible. There are the low points when you just when it's just so boring. You're you're neither terrible nor great. It's just mundane. And then there's the low points when, like one sticks in my mind, was the arse, arse shaving. <laughs> I haven't said his name for a the, the arse shaving game. You know, the four four, and um, because we because we were so close, and you know, I think at that stage, Rafa five years, I, I hadn't spoken to Rafa at that point, but I was. You know, I, I was very defend. I was writing for the official site at the time. And I was very defensive of him because he got so much stick, and it was clear that that the league managers' association was against him, the media was against him, and and I, I just really wanted Rafa to win it that year. Well, obviously wanted Liverpool to win it, and that game was just so surreal that you know every time Arsenal crossed the halfway line, Arshavin had a shot and it went in. Um, that was a that was a low point in that that was a I thought that was. That was an excellent Liverpool team um, that, that really, you know, just happened to be up against that season, possibly the best Man United team of of, of the entire Premier League era. So that was a low point. But yeah, the Hodgson, uh, the Hodgson, uh, I mean, it's yeah, I can't even pick a low point because, um, but also every low point at that stage, you kind of felt right. Well, you know, it's got to be, got to be near to getting rid of him as well. So. You know that was that was, you know the defeat at Stoke and then and then at the New Year um, around that time was it Blackburn Wolves I think we beat Wolves didn't we at home and you know that was a low point there was about ten thousand empty seats and we scraped a win and you just kind of thought this is you know we're never going to get rid of him we're just going to be mid table all season sort of thing so um, I think that was the game when the cop was singing Hodgson for England which is. I think that was Bolton. I think we that lost to Wolves, if I remember rightly. We, we lost did lose to Wolves. We did. Yeah. But then we beat Bolton on New Year's Day. But there was yeah, ten thousand empty seats or something. Was it a late goal though? Eighty-seven minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. The Bolton game was New Year's Day, and it was yeah, it was like last-minute winner to win two-one with ten thousand empty seats or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But we, having already lost to Wolves about three days earlier. Right. Okay. It's all. It's all kind of. It's all bleak. <laughs> it's all merged into one mass of bleakness. I know the Stoke, I know the Stoke away game. I was my son was a, a scouts or Cubs, whatever he was at age, swimming gala, and I remember following that on my on my phone and um, just thinking, oh my god, and, and seeing the possession. I think yeah, that, actually I'm going to go with that. I think we had 35 percent possession at Stoke and Stokes. It, Stokes' usual, you know, highest passing sequence was two, sort of thing, you know, you know, one long throw and on someone's head, and to go there and end up being out possessed, you just thought, oh my god, this is just. But then I, you could take the Hodgson thing back to the start, and when we were supposed to be playing, was it a Middle Eastern team in pre-season? And he said, I hope we don't lose six nil, and then you know, talking about Man City, and at least we, at least we didn't get beat six nil, uh, and. Do you know what I mean? Any any of that 
period is just it's it's just so bad as a as a whole sort of six months that you know you can, you can take your pick. Mine would be the would be wasn't even a game. It would be the court case. Um, the fact that we were, could have gone into administration, um, mm-hmm. owed an absolute fortune to the banks. But we won. We, we, we had a, we had a dire state of affairs in the boardroom where we had a Chelsea fan and other charlatans. We were offering contracts to players, and we had Hodgson. It could, that was the moment. But it also shone a light because that's when FSG came in, and although they've made mistakes, that was the point when we started to emerge. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was new in... I mean, TTT was a year old at that point, and um, so people were talking about it recently, like, you know, the the live blogging of that that was going on on the, or the court case that was going on on the web and the and the discussion on TTT about it was, was in itself kind of fascinating. That was almost like, you know, that turned into almost like a cup final or, you know, it was... Um, you know, can we get out of this terrible situation? Um, that was quite an exciting time in a way, though, because it, it it was, you know, it was the chance to kind of get out of the mess that we were in and that people forget. And I think I saw the other day, you know, were we £350 million in debt or something? You know, I, 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 even now, FSG get a lot of criticism uh, you know, and some of they've made mistakes. Some of the criticism of, of any anybody's, you know, you can criticise people for certain things, but even now it's kind of like I, I just wouldn't tweet praise of FSG because, I, you know, just get a load of stick back. But what the what the club has achieved since they since they took over um, has, has been nothing short of incredible, really. And I say some mistakes along the way that delayed getting to where we are now. But the fact is we have got to where we are now and, you know, kind of good ownership, even if it's not your ideal version of ownership, good ownership has been central to that because, you know, we couldn't have done this with Gillette and Hicks still in charge, could we? You know, we couldn't have even got close. So, um, so yes, I think that, that was, that was kind of the start of the big, uh, the start of the beginning of the, of where we are now, really, and that and this, let's start the next question straight off the bat. Then, Paul, are you giving who are you going to give the most credit to, the most important person at the club for this title win? Is it the obvious answer, or is it linked to what you were just saying there? I'm going to say I'm going to go out on a limb here. Something really left field. I'm going to say Jurgen Klopp. Um, <laughs> but you know the 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 did me there, but the. <laughs> But yeah, but Jurgen Jurgen Klopp's brilliance, as he said, he said himself. Um, he says he's not the best at everything, but he he said of himself, you know, he said I'm good at getting people who are really good at stuff around me, and that's a bit self-deprecating because he's obviously incredibly good at stuff as well. But um, I don't now. Klopp, if Klopp if Klopp had come in during Gillette and Hicks. Then none of this would have, none of this would have happened either. You know, I think, I think in late 2000s, Rafa Benitez was as good as any manager around. And if 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 your club is a basket case, I think it's really difficult to win the league. So it's kind of a, it's more a question of things, planets aligning. Um, and I think, obviously, you could argue then that FSG, John Henry, that uh, uh, Mike Gordon. Those people being in charge started the process. So if they weren't, if they didn't come along, we we probably wouldn't have clock, you know. Um, so it has to start with them because they came first. Um, they set about doing the right things. They made some mistakes, but they. You, if you, even if you look at the mistakes they've made, the mistakes they've made have led to where we are now. So they brought in uh, Damien Camoli. That didn't work out. Camoli Camoli brought in Edwards. That's what I was going to say. Camoli brought in Edwards. Now, I, um, I, as I say, John Henry got in touch with me. I I don't seek out anyone from Liverpool, but if they get in touch, I'll I'll speak to them. And he he got in touch with me. And then he would, uh, there was a period where he would phone me up uh, out of the blue and, one of the issues, it, uh, 
when Camoli was sacked, I, John Henry had phoned me before that and was talking about how the communication within the club wasn't wasn't working. They in Boston weren't getting the information from Liverpool that they wanted, and they and the call was not about Dalglish. I was asked about Camoli and. And from the conversation, I I was assuming that they were looking to get somebody to do a different kind of role, and that Camoli would maybe then focus on transfers. Obviously, and then soon after that, Camoli was sacked. So obviously, you know that was their that was their aim. But um, but yeah, Camoli sort of so they kind of had the 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 right idea, but he was the wrong person because he wasn't he wasn't helping them he wasn't helping the club to do you know what I mean to gel together Th- then we went from there to where we had Edwards but then we had Rogers and so then we had the transfer committee and we had Rogers and there was talk that Rogers was going to be working under a director of football on Rogers's first press conference he out you know stated outright I'm not going to work under a director of football so then we had the transfer committee. So that was a kind of a, a fudge. Rogers uh, had one absolutely brilliant season, but but he, but the recruitment uh, that he drove was terrible. Um, he was a good coach, but then the, you look at his final season again. It was a it was an absolute chaotic mix of styles of play, of formations changing from week to week. So there was that kind of chaos. He was a loggerheads with with the. Transfer committee. So no one was. Do you know what I mean? So the, so everything the FSG tried to do right fell down because the people that they employed were not working with each other. And maybe that would have happened with other, with other managers and with other directors of football. And with, but the beauty of Klopp is that he, he wanted Michael Edwards to be the sporting director. He wanted to work with the sporting director. He didn't want to have. To do everything himself, and so you know, and, and Michael Edwards has done an absolutely brilliant job. The, 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 the people working under him have done a brilliant job. The data analysts, all the, but it's no good if they take all that to the manager, and the manager says, "Well, I don't want any of that. I want Christian Benteke. I don't want Roberto Firmino," you know, um, and then go to the press and say, and you know, brief. Got the manager briefing on. You know, why have we spent 29 million on Roberto Firmino? Nobody knows what he's supposed to do. And, you know, so, you, and again, it's the same with Klopp and the players. It's no good having the best players if they don't play as a team. It's no good having all these great different departments if one department feeds in to another and the other says, oh, piss, piss off, we don't want that. You know, so that's why I think Klopp, it doesn't matter how many good ideas you have around it if the if the, if the man at the, at the helm isn't you know isn't collegiate isn't bringing everything together then that's just a waste of time so i think that Klopp is uniquely brilliant in that and i think that's why we've exceeded why we've become the ranked the fourth best team in history without spending crazy money is because of all these brilliant people are actually being used by Klopp and they're not being sidelined by Klopp does that make sense? Yeah, I think you mentioned that you know the, the stars being aligned, and I think that's what it takes. You know, I don't think any club can succeed if if the behind the scenes is chaotic, and the ownership like Hicks and Gillette era. There's nobody, nobody could have saved that. Um, so that has to be right first. Um, but in itself, it's not enough. You know, you then need once that's stable and that's in place and that the right sort of regime is in place then it moves down to the next level which is the team manager coach and that also has to be right so as you say it has to align all the way down uh, you know the scale um, for it to work and it did and, and Klopp seemed to he seemed to be a, the right fit for the club and the city and uh, I don't know it just instinctively felt right from the de- from the first day um, he seemed to get it he seemed to get the club in a way that you know Talking about Hodgson earlier on, clearly did not. You know, you contrast some of the statements that that Hodgson used to make. You know, if we want to be thought of as a top ten club, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> um, you know, and then there's Klopp just the other day, you know, while still in the sort of aftermath of something that's almost traumatised him. It's so huge what he's done. 
and he comes up with, you know, history is no burden anymore. We got rid of the heavy backpack. You know, that, <laughs> he just got it. He, he understands, you know, and he rid- always did. We got rid of one heavy backpack <laughs> in January. Bless him. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. But yeah, it, you know, it's hard to say Klopp isn't the answer, as you said, Paul. Um, you know, um, accepting think, that all the other stuff has to be right first. Yes, it does. I think that I think that Klopp could have won the title with inferior people around him. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, an, an inferior, um, you know, person to Michael Edwards or to Mike Gordon or to various coaches to not having Pep, Pep Linder. Yeah, yeah. It could have, I'm, not could sure, have, I'm not sure. Well, I'm not, I, I think he could have. He could have made. Well, he could have won the league, but he could have made Liverpool a superb team. But yeah. what? What? He, where we are now, as Europe, reigning European, world Premier League champions, fourth best ever team according to the club yellow rankings index. All these, all those things, I think that the the transcendence of of. You know, breaking of records, the earliest ever, you know, not seven games to go, we won the title, and the earliest before that was five games to go. You know, all these kind of things, 97 points last season, winning the Champions League, all those kind of things. I think Klopp is obviously the key man. I think he he could have done some of those things without uh, everybody around him that he's got, but I think it's a question of how he uses everybody around him that has made us transcendental sort of thing. I, I think one thing that I'd say about Klopp is that the sign of him is how he's dealt with bitter disappointment. You know, after Kiev, we came back and won the Champions League the season. After after 97 points and one defeat last season, which would have seen off a lot of people, a lot of teams, you know, you'd never come back from that. But what does he do? OK, if 97 is not enough, we'll have to go up one. <laughs> you know, and I think the way that he's done that, you know, the Champions League defeat was followed by a Champions League win, and then the league defeat last season has been followed by a win. I think that's that's a measure of him. And that, Can that's, I, there's a, yeah, key point, a key point here that I wanted to make, which is in contrast to, to Brendan Rodgers, because Brendan Rodgers is a really good manager. His spell at Liverpool was a mix. I think he, he made some got things terribly wrong. And then got things right, and he, he's clearly a, um, an intelligent guy. But with Rogers, you always have the sense that he'd got some managerial phrases out of out of a book, you know. And that that's kind of, you know, with the envelopes thing, and you you know that's that it's like it seemed like stuff that he'd read in a management manual, that, and that there was some kind of artifice involved with Klopp. He just he just that is his genuine genuine nature and the 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 3-0 defeat after the 3-0 defeat I was reading what Pep Linders talking about that and in the dressing room afterwards and that the team was you know all slumped over they just got beat 3-0 by Barcelona and 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 Klopp said look if there's any you know there's one team that can overturn this it's you and then Linders were saying, you know, by the time they got back on the coach, they were ready to go. Do you know what I mean? They were ready to go again. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the, I don't think I've seen, and again, maybe that's the Shankleyism, but I don't think I've seen. The people talk about Klopp's charisma, but a lot of a lot of sociopaths have charisma. It's 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 kind of, it's superficial. It's um, you know you know, and with Klopp, everything he lives and breathes everything. You never see any kind of. Authentic, authenticity, authenticity. Em, em, empathy. Yeah, authenticity. Authenticity is a, is a big word, big thing in, in in the modern day, and and it can be it can be a bit a bit of bullshit really at times. But it, it, if there is somebody that is genuinely genuinely authentic, it is Klopp because it's 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 five years and every every interview he's given, everything he's done. You you, you there's no incons. There's only the inconsistency of the situation, but he is. He believes what he believes, and it, none of it is an act. And that is that is how he is. And people, don't, some people don't like that. And they had there was that whole kind of good bloke syndrome, you know. That, but, but that's how he, Klopp lives his life. That's how he treats everybody. 
out, you know, that's how he'll treat people in the in the canteen, the the the, the, the people, the ground people everywhere. And the key I, thing, the key thing is, is that he's got a body of work when he's also done this, and he's not been under the spotlight of Liverpool. He did it at Mainz. He improved everyone there. Did it at Dortmund. They got to levels they've never achieved in the history. This is this is somebody who seems to have a really unique ability to master the human and emotional side of human beings in a in a sporting coaching setting while connecting with the fans of the club is at and understanding that innovation and modern developments are crucial to improving yourself like he's done with, with the backroom like he's done with the analysts like he is like you talk about having that process of listening to them taking on board their information the signing of Salah being a prime example it's just there's very few if any that that you can think about that have done it in the modern era and I always measure managers by their overachievement relative to their situation. Chris Wilder is another one who seems to overachieved wherever he's gone, um, but it's not—it's not obviously in the same. But that's my measure of a coach: how, how you get your, how you use your tools, what you've got in front of you, and make them better than what they should be, because. The litany of failures in the Premier League, the managers who are praised when they're just clearly failing all the time, is madness. And Klopp has done it at all levels. The, the, the interesting thing, the key thing with Klopp, though, is, and why I thought he was suitable for Liverpool, is that he had that experience of delivering the very top prize. This is the one, this is the, the issue I have with people like David Moyes, and people kept t- telling me during the 2000s that, you know, Moyes deserves a top job. And I kind of thought, well, yeah, you know, there are all these managers that have done good things, and like Chris Wilder, but it's taking it to that to that next level. It's what Rafa did at, at Valencia and then did at Liverpool with, with, with Istanbul. And Klopp had done that. So what Klopp had done at Mainz deserved to get him the Dortmund job because at that time, Dortmund were financially bankrupt. You know, they were, it was just a mistake. So... You so, but then when when Klopp got that job, he then took took them way beyond what was what was expected, and I think that's kind of that that's a more interesting sign. I think a lot of people can overachieve on a smaller budget, and Sam Allardyce is another. Roy Hodgson overachieved with Fulham on a smaller budget, but it was never ever ever gonna be successful at Liverpool because he didn't have the right mentality, he didn't have the right approach. Um, you know, so it's so it's kind of it's that, that it's finding somebody to do that and to do that with a history like Liverpool is is incredibly difficult. Almost bees, almost impossible bees. Have you? Is yours the obvious answer? Are you are you going with Klopp, or have you got some? <laughs> no, I think I think you have to really, don't you? But I think it sort of strikes me it should almost be more of a kind of Mount Rushmore thing rather than a statue, shouldn't it? It's. Uh... Uh, yeah. Yes, Klopp is the main guy. Like, clearly. like it, like it. But um, <laughs> you'd probably need to have like you know Michael Edwards alongside him, maybe Ian Graham, maybe I mean ultimately I guess John Henry or whoever to represent FSG because it's you know they've put all this in place and hired Klopp and all this as much as some fans might not like to praise them too much, they have ultimately you know put all this stuff together. So I don't know, yeah, maybe a sort of four-person Mount Rushmore style tribute, but. Um, I think, yeah, you have to give it to Klopp, but I think people like Edwards and Ian Graham do deserve so much credit. You know, um, I was reading this week Klopp wanted to sign Julian Brandt instead of Mo Salah and had to be convinced to sign Salah. And I'm sure not even the people doing the convincing thought that Salah would score 40-plus goals in his first year. But, you know, it's it shows that it's not just Klopp. I mean, he would say as much, but it, it, he has been helped and pushed in the right direction perhaps on the recruitment side and stuff like that by um, by the other guys at the club. And I remember um, I have met Ian Graham a couple of times at Opta events. And there was once I was chatting to him very briefly and I, I can't remember which year it was, but Liverpool hadn't signed many players. And he just said, trust the process. And it's about trusting in doing the right thing. And everybody sort of pulling in the same direction is, is, is more important than one in, than any sort of individual so I think it's Klopp at the very top, but there has to be a lot of credit and recognition going to the sort of three or four or five people sort of below and behind that that are 
feeding into what he's then able to do with the with the players on the pitch, you know. And every, every person in the analytics world absolutely praises Liverpool's um, use of data, mo- use of modern techniques, l- trying to learn and improve, employing the best people. Someone who worked at CERN, Will Spearman. What, what, in what football in context would you ever imagine a scientist who worked on the Large Hadron Collider would come to a football club to help them understand data and apply it? Could I just, could I just, this is a really personal point for me, but my, my, my son has, uh, I mean, I got divorced when he was young, so I, I would only uh, have him at mine a couple of days a week. I never really got a chance to indoctrinate him into football, um, but he's he's wants to go to university this year, well this year, assuming that universities still exist, um, to study physics. And so he's got no interest in football, but he's got an interest in physics. So my hope is, you know what I mean? It's like now if you go and you go and get a PhD in physics or something, you can end up working for Liverpool. So that's kind of <laughs> I still have that kind of vague, you know. No, I mean, you know I mean, that's just that's just mad, isn't it? I think we've got four four physics PhDs working on various things. It's absolutely unprecedented, and it's interesting to see how other clubs develop and try and copy and use that because the, the information's out there. Not exactly what we're doing. There's a lot of uh, patent stuff, I think, that we, we've got that others haven't. But I th- the, 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 there's there's been a lot of information for all of us to digest. The New York Times article on them, the data guys. There's been Ian Graham, um, the, the Ian Graham article on um, what was it? Thing in Freakonomics. There was the one that you sent me, Paul, with the science one, the science presentation. Um, there's just been. It's just been out there. There's been so much from Will Spearman um, this this summer with the people that you used to work for, Bees, wasn't there? So many open forums that they've done on YouTube. Yeah, and think- another one of the guys, Tim Waskett, was on a BBC um, science program talking that, about it. That's the it. one, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, 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 and it was it was sort of you know for what people on Tompkins Times are sort of interested to in know about. It was probably reasonably basic talking about expected goals and things like that but it just shows that they're sort of you know they're quite happy to sort of go out there and talk about what they're doing at a sort of high level obviously they're not revealing everything but you know they're they're, I suppose it's easier to um, you know appear on programs when Liverpool have won the Champions League and stuff and you can say yeah we've been doing this and look it works rather than when it doesn't when you're in the trust the process stage but um, yeah it's just great to see those guys sort of out there and and having all these articles and appearances and everything because I mean yeah what they're doing is just incredible really.